As we open God's word, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter three, Genesis chapter three. We are here to hear from God. Let God's word inform us, inform our consciences, inform our minds. Uh, then we we take that information, apply this these truths to our life, and then we live by them. That's what we do. We come, we hear the word, we adhere to that word, and we live out that word. Genesis chapter three. I'm going to just for context. I'm going to begin reading again in verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, "Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden?" And the woman said to the serpent, "From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat." But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall, you surely will not die. But God, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, you, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that it was desirable to make one wise. She took from the its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open. And when they knew that they were naked, and they began, they made so, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you again for your word, the guidance that it is to our own heart. You're so kind to give us this light in this dark world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a principle in Scripture that is important that we need to, uh, that I was reminded of this week, and I need to remind you, I needed to remind myself, and it's found uh, explicitly in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Actually, it's found throughout the New Testament, but I, I want to just, again, remind you of these things. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert, your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We are to have a sober spirit as Christians. Why? Because we have an enemy. We have an enemy out there that would love to just consume us, devour us. Back in chapter 4 and verse 6, uh, Peter says this very similar thing. Uh, I'm sorry, in verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Listen, things are, are getting close to the end. The end is near, he says, so be of sober spirit. That, that defines a Christian. That becomes part of who he is, just his, his demeanor. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 13, just a few pages over. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, 
Prepare yourself for action. Keep sober in spirit. We're to be sober. There's a sober-mindedness to believers. We see it in the New Te- in the uh, from the theology of Paul as well in First Thessalonians chapter First um, Thessalonians chapter five, verse six. He says, "So then, let us not sleep." Not be lackadaisical about life uh, as others, but let us be alert and sober. That's the fifth time in verse 8, just two verses later, he says, But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, or the breastplate of faith. We're to be sober. There's a serious-mindedness to believers. He had to warn Timothy of this very thing, too, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. He says, But you be sober in all things, enduring hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. As a minister, you are to take it seriously. You are to be sober about these things. We are not to have a flippant life. Now, that, that uh, concerns me. Even Christ said we are to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. There's a soberness even to that. There's a soberness about our life. Uh, we are to be careful in, in every situation that we get ourselves into now, that doesn't mean that we can't tell jokes, we can't have fun, we have to be heady all the time. No, it doesn't mean that. But we are to be careful about our life. Our life matters. What we are doing is important. And it concerns me sometimes to just see the Christians that are just kind of carefree, no real responsibilities, um, not a care in the world, not a thought in their head, happy-go-lucky, just uh, no caution with their words. They uh, seem to not really care that much about their life. But we are not to be flippant about our life. We have to be careful where we go. We have to be careful what we say. We have to be careful the words that we use. We're, we're even to be careful about our, the perception our reputation. Those things are, are important. We are to take those seriously. We are in serious business here. What we are doing here, even today, is serious. That's why I, I wear a, a suit and tie. To try to bring sobriety to what we're doing. Just to say, hey, what, what we're doing here is serious business. It's not flippant. It's not to be taken Lightly, We are pursuing righteousness. We're trying to please a real heavenly Father. We are trying to be holy like He is holy. That means then we slow life down so much so that we take every thought captive. Every thought captive. But also, what sobers us is that we have an enemy. And like I said... He wants to consume us. And that's Satan. And, and he is wanting to deceive us and destroy us by sin. 
by man's rebellion against God. We've joined forces with him. We've teamed up with him and the world and we're fighting against God now. And we've got to take that seriously. We cannot be playing around here. Man's major problem, man's number one problem is sin. It's rebellion against God, God's standards, God's expectations, even even our rejection of his redemption of in Christ. We are facing serious things here, and it's because of sin. And that comes down then to Genesis chapter 3. It introduces us to the first time sin has come into the world. We have an explanation of the evil that's all around us. And this is part of our worldview. If you take this out, that changes everything. But when you put in sin, you, we begin to see in Genesis chapter 3, this, was, this one little sin was a, a catastrophe. It was a world, it's like a, a worldwide nuclear explosion that happened in the Garden of Eden. And 4,000 years later, we're still feeling the ripple effects of that in every human heart, in every corner of the world. Our thoughts, our actions, every words. Even our bodies decaying because of that sin that entered the world that many years ago. Even creation itself, Paul says, is groaning. Is groaning. It doesn't want to yield for man. And we have to work by the sweat of our brow. And it's because of sin. So we have to take it seriously. That's why there's a, a soberness to, to what we do. It's not a, a flippant life that, that we live. Now, last week, we were introduced to this spiritual realm. This spiritual realm. And, and this passage answers for us the, the question, how in the world did we lose the peace and the harmony of the Garden of Eden? How in the world did we get to where we are today where our, our world is just filled with sin and, and suffering? This explains it. So this fills in our worldview. In fact, it's a major part of our worldview. Last week we were introduced to our enemy, Satan. We're introduced to this spiritual realm that, that really cannot be measured by science today. So they just want to reject it. But we know that it is a reality. To us, it is a reality. And Satan has orchestrated an attack against God. Now, it looks like it might just be against the, the woman or maybe the, against the first couple. But no, it's an attack against God. And, and he... He looked for the, the weakest link, or what he thought was the weakest link, and, and he attacks the, the woman. And it's an attack. Now, there's this, that very word causes us to be sober-minded. If you want to get the attention of the world, then you just invade Ukraine, and the United States is going to attack when that when we hear those words, our ears perk up, don't they? It gets our attention. We get real sober, real fast. It's kind of a scary thing. And this is a planned attack from Satan against God through, through his 
people that he created, through the ones who are supposed to have the dominion over this physical realm. Now, we need to analyze this attack. Because what God allowed here as a testing time for Adam and Eve, Satan turns into a seduction, a temptation, uh, an enticement, a, a lure. And it's like hanging out a worm uh, in front of a fish with a hook on it. And we need to understand what goes on, the, the dynamics when, when Satan is attacking us, when Satan is, is putting that lure out there. We need to know, we need to analyze these things so that we can understand how to respond in these situations. Christ was tempted, wasn't he? And he responded correctly. Now, we saw last week, we were just basically introduced uh, Satan last week, we saw his motives, that he was lifted up. He, he wants to lift himself up uh, to the most high. He's wanting God's position. And his main um, way of, of operating and attaining that is through lies. He's the father of lies. So this first attack, we see that, that Satan actually starts with just a, an innocent conversation. Really an innocent question. But but really, when you think about it, there's really no innocent conversations with Satan. Right? You, you can't just have an innocent conversation. He is going to lead that conversation. Now, there's a few things that we need to note in this. Based on last week, i just remind you of these things. Number one is that Satan breeds confusion. He thrives on that. He loves that. And Christ... Uh, pointed out in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, that through uh, that through his deception, that uh, he is so good that even the elect, if possible, he would he would confuse them through his lies. They would just buy right into his lies. He's that good. Now that means we can't just be flippant. We have to say, you know what? I have to be careful because I can get caught up in that. Number two, another thing that we learn is Satan's, Satan presents himself in, as innocent. Okay? We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 14 that he is an angel of light. He, he is, there's a, a beauty about him and he wants to appear innocent so he's, it's non-threatening. So we, we let our guard down. Oh, it's just, it's, it's okay. It's just an innocent conversation. And so we saw that last week. But then we also see that Satan challenges God's word. Every attack from Satan is going to be a challenge on God's word. And that's, that's what he does. And, and Christ was able to handle that. We have to know God's word well enough to be able to combat Satan. It's on the truth level. And then number four is that Satan questioned God's character. He challenges God's character. And he changes God from the good guy and he makes him out to be the get bad guy. That's what he wants to do through this world with the Christians. He's wanting, even to this day, he wants us to be seen as the bad guys. The ones who are not reasonable. So what we see here is that Satan is, he, he lives in the realm of, of ideas. He's the father of lies. Now, he, he, he's not so much in the drug business. We, we just see him, oh, that's in the drug cocktail and that's Satan and all that. He's not so much in the drug business. He's not so much in the porn business. He's not trying to pour alcohol down your throat. 
We can take care of that from our own sinful nature. What Satan wants to do, he lives in the, in the business of ideas, lies, false ideas that he feeds us. So, he just has to come up with an, a, a lie that says, hey, you need to escape a little bit. Just, you, you need this alcohol. <clears throat> you need this pornography to, to meet your needs. You, you need this comfort food. So Satan, all he has to do is, is come up with a lie. He doesn't have to uh, come up with all the uh, maneuvering or anything. He just, we just buy into his lies and we'll find, we'll find something for the flesh. It's the way it works. It's the way it works. And he's got us hooked. Satan takes his job seriously. He is sober-minded. <laughs> He's come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He, his murder is separating us from the, the God of life, from the source of life that we have. So we must be serious-minded too. So that was last week, the innocent conversation. Next, number two, the next thing we come to is verse six. And what we see here is a, a naive consideration, a naive consideration. In verse 6, let me read it. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Now, right at the conversation, apparently the conversation had ended with Satan. But he had focused her attention enough on this tree, on the thing that she couldn't have. The conversation had stopped, but her focus was still on the tree. And she saw. She kept focusing. She kept, now, maybe in innocence, maybe she was just naive, unexpecting, not knowing who she's talking to, a little too trusting, but she continued to focus continued to consider Satan's proposal. Well, maybe this is true. And she began to, to look and, and to investigate. And it, and it seemed like it, it just becomes an a, a obsession, a fixation. <clears throat> and it doesn't take much for the, to the flesh to become inflamed. And folks, that's the way we are, isn't it? And we could turn anything into a fixation. Wow, that maybe any sin... Basically, can, we can just focus on the thing that we don't have. He can turn it into a fixation. And that's what she does. Look, look she, she sees, she saw that the tree was good for food, that, that's, <clears throat> that, that it would be pleasant to taste. It, this is going to be good. I can see that this is going to be good. This is going to be satisfying. It's a delight uh, to the eyes. Pleasant to, to look at it. Obviously, it was attracting. There was a, a, a lure there. And it was desirable to make one wise. It seemed like it, it has all the properties here. Yeah, I could see wisdom coming from this. I mean, it is the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So I could see this. She's thinking through this. She's reasoning in her own mind. It was made to eat. It's fruit here. And she set aside God's command for her own understanding. She says, I'm a, I'm a big girl. I can figure this out on my own. I don't need anyone else to tell me what to do. 
Now, I can use my own standards for this fruit. And she begins to, to judge this fruit based upon her own understanding. And instead of, instead of standing on God's standard, uh, God's absolute standard, she leans on her, her own understanding. Now, something that you don't see here in this text, so you see what she's doing. She's considering these things. She's, she's mauling it over. She's rationalizing in her mind. But what you don't see is that she, she didn't defend God at all. I mean, Satan brings this hurling accusation against God and questions God's character that his motives are not pure here. He's trying to hold something good back from you. And, and she just ignores that. It's just, uh, it's never mentioned in the text that God, God's character was questioned. And she ate. She ate. It was just that simple. Just one bite. I mean, just, just a, a, a bit of a fruit. That's all it was. Somehow she rationalized it in her, in her mind. But again, she just bought into Satan's lies. Now let's give Eve the benefit of the doubt. Because in, in chapter 3 and verse uh, 13, in the same chapter, she says, It was Satan deceived me. And in the New Testament, that was confirmed. Yes, Satan deceived her. She, she thought she was doing right. She thought she was doing the best thing. But she was wrong in her consideration of the food. She was, maybe she was wrong in, in misunderstanding. Maybe it was a communication issue. Maybe, maybe he didn't mean this tree or maybe God, uh, you, you know, didn't communicate properly or, or something like that. And maybe she was basing it upon the name. It's the knowledge of good and evil. It's a, maybe it's somehow she rationalized it in her mind and, and she thought she was doing the right thing. She was deceived. And the Bible holds to that in Old Testament and the New Testament. But even at that, she was not off the hook, was she? She was deceived, but she was still responsible before God. And you have to wonder, what did it taste like? Was it worth it? That one bite? <laughs> Just that temporary sensation? Man, this tastes pretty good. It's apparently good enough for her to, to take it to Adam. Say, hey, you got to try this. This is pretty good. And he ate. Now, he wasn't deceived. He wasn't deceived at all. He knew full well what he was doing. And, and in fact, he had every reason to trust God. He saw God's goodness. He had every reason to put his faith in God and, and obey God. And he had absolutely no reason to doubt God. That was what was going on here. No reason to disobey. Some say, well, maybe he, he loved his wife so much that he saw what she had done and he joins her just out of love. I'm not so sure. I mean, maybe, maybe. But whatever it was, it was just out of uh, overt rebellion against God. They disobeyed. They disobeyed. Sin entered in the world at that moment. They said, no, we're going to do our own way. We're going to go our own way. We're going to disobey God. And Satan was successful. The serpent made Eve discontent. Looking at this worm with this hook on it made her discontent. All the other trees you can eat. The whole garden is yours. And you want to focus on one thing that you can't have. We call it the forbidden fruit, don't we? And it just reminds me of David, king of Israel. Has anything he wants, really. And he looks and he sees, he says, I want that woman. 
And he takes Uriah's, Uriah's uh, wife, Bathsheba. Uriah didn't have much. Only this, according to the prophet, only this one little lamb, that's the only joy that he had in his life, this, this one beautiful wife, David takes him. Out of all the things that David has, out of all the things that David could do, he focuses on the one thing that he does not have. But that's what Satan does, isn't it? We need to be aware of that. We become fixated. We become attracted to the one thing. Now, you, you step back a little bit and you begin to realize, what were they, was it the fruit? It was just the, the good taste of that one fruit. That's all that they was about. No, it's bigger than that, isn't it? It's bigger than a piece of, of fruit. The appeal here was to be wise like God. The, the appeal here really is autonomy, uh, uh, independence of God. And what we then see is that's the same rebellion that Satan had. It's just, I will, I will be like God. I will rise my, raise myself up to the level of God. I will sit on His throne. I'm going to be the God of my life. I'm going to be independent of God. Folks, that's sin. That's rebellion. And that cannot be minimized at all. The ultimate desire there was Godhood. Wow. That's what we're all capable of. I know my own desires. I know what's best for me. And I will take matters into my own hands. There's a warning here. Warning of enticement. Right? Be careful. Now, there's a, uh, but we're good at, at rationalizing. We're good at, at coming up with, uh, to continue to look and to, to think through these things that we just need to leave alone. But in those, in the, in those moments of, of temptation where we're enticed, we wonder, what would it taste like? What would it be like? And we begin to consider when we should just walk away. And we begin to, to flirt with the world. We continue to focus and dwell on those things. And we're li- relying on our own understanding, our own rationalization. And John says it the best in 1 John chapter 2. He says this in verse 15. Do not love the world nor anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes, the, the things that we see, those cravings that we just look at and we want, the boastful pride of life, the craving to be, to have attention and to have this uh, elevation, the lust of the flesh, those are all, all part of this life. They're not from the Father, but is from the world. That's the world. That's the world. And we're good at, at rationalizing. We're, we're good at flirting with the world. Now, we think oh, we can handle those things. The world is the, the big things. Of, oh, yeah, I, I don't kill. I don't steal. I don't commit adultery. I don't do abortions, commit abortions. I, I don't go into homosexuality. But you know what? We, we really do flirt with the world in so many ways. Right now, I think the biggest area... Is that we're buying into Satan's lies, is this, there's a whole philosophy. There's some systems of philosophy that we need to be aware of. 
Let me just run some through with you real quick. There's existentialism. Existentialism says that, uh, that you know what? There's no rhyme or reason to this world and, and so just go, go along to, to get along and, and just, you know, whatever comes, then that's fine. There's another philosophy that says materialism, and we understand materialism. It's just all about the stuff. We, we, we get as much as we can, amass the fortune that we can before we die. And then you have hedonism. No, it's all about pleasure. Pleasure at all, all cost, and, and so some pursue that. I mean, they just want to coast through life because it's about their own pleasure. But I think we've mastered a lot of that. I think the, the church, we understand and not to pursue riches and, and hedonism. We can understand that. But I think there's one philosophy that's, that's just huge today, and that's humanism. That's humanism. Let me just share with you some of the elements. And I, I'm reading on this, and so I'm, I'm kind of learning this myself. But I see it, it, it this, these ideas creeping into the world. The world's out there, and, and they have these ideas, and I think these ideas are... Creeping into the church. And what it does is it, it, it elevates, it elevates our feelings, our emotion. Now, it's based upon evolution. It's very popular today. And, and it's, it's human feelings are the only thing that's real, right? We're, we're all about authentic, authentication, about realness, about genuineness, about those those kind of things. And so you push them. And when you exclude God from your life, the only thing that you know is real is your feelings. So we elevate feelings. That's authentic. That's, that's what we really know. And that's the way we gauge truth. Right? Now listen, that is exactly what, that's exactly what Eve was doing here. Based upon her own assessment, her own craving if you will, for that food, then she makes assessment. But evolutionist thinking, they go further than this and because they say, well, that our cravings, our desires, the things that are real, our emotions, our feelings, they inform, they're informed by our instincts, okay? Our basic, our base nature, if you will, okay? Now follow this because that base nature is driven along by Selected a natural selection, not God, but natural selection, and it's tied into evolution. And so we trust evolution. Evolution's going to guide us, and 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 the way it guides us, and natural selection, we just select what comes naturally, and our own instincts are there, and it and it's tied into what we feel. Now, let me tell you, that's a philosophy that is being sold to the church today. It's being sold to the church today through Satan's lies. Doctrines of demons. Not trusting God's word, but trusting our own feelings. That's exactly what Eve was doing. And she was playing right into Satan's hand. And we do that today. The church, I think, is is just posed to to just fall right into Satan's hands. Satan's traps. And our standards... And not the feelings, not our feelings. Our standard has to be the Word of God. The standards are fixed. The, the Word of God is fixed. Thou shalt not. In fact, I'll, I'll go beyond that. It's not just the Ten Commandments that we're adhering to. But it's the fruit of the Spirit. Just the opposite of what the world would say. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Being kind. Patient. Gentleness. 
There's fruit of the spirits. That's, that's the level that we attain to. It's not just, well, I haven't killed today, so I'm doing pretty good. Have you, have you risen to the level of the fruit of the spirit? What about casual lying and careless with our words, careless with our life, gossip, innocent flirting, manipulating of people, using force and power through anger, attitudes. I mean, there's so many things when we begin to realize how offensive that we are to God. So many ways that, well, we justify it with our own feelings and we raise our own standards of feelings above God's word. And so we react to life most of the time. And that reaction is based upon what the world would call natural selection. And so we're just all moving right along through evolutionary processes. He was wrong. She should have never considered it. After the conversation with Satan, she should have just left and not focused on the tree. But she considered a naive consideration. Number three, let's look at verse seven and we'll see the devastating consequences here. Verse seven. Turn back to my passage. Genesis chapter three, verse seven. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. There is a realization here. And it came as a result of, of the shame that they felt, their own conscience was telling, hey, you're, those are inappropriate thoughts. You didn't have those thoughts before. We better cover ourselves. That's what's going on here. The eyes of both were open. They knew. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What's that going to do? It's just kind of curb things. We, we see the devastating effect in, in four different ways here. Personally, they, they sensed the shame. There was promised some knowledge here. Well, no good, but now there's just shame. Something that was innocent was replaced now by guilt and shame. Innocent was replaced by Experience, they had experience now, but it was at the cost of disobedience, and now they're in rebellion against God. And so they, they join forces with evil. They, they cannot experience good and evil like God does in an innocent way. It's in a corrupt way. Number two, as a couple, as a couple, the, in, the intimacy of, of marriage is what was affected here. Their thoughts become impure. That's amazing because it, it twists the very thing that was beautiful, the very thing that brought them together. And, and now they can't trust one another because their, their thoughts are impure. And sin does that, doesn't it? It twists. It twisted the very mandate that they had from God to multiply and fill the earth. I like what R.C. Sproul said about this. He said, these filthy rags that they covered themselves with, that's all they are. Essentially, he goes on to say, is this self-righteousness that we try to cover ourselves with, it's just a, it's just a loincloth. It doesn't really do anything. It's fig leaves. We need the covering of Jesus Christ, don't we? That's what we need. 
But it also, so it affected them personally. It affected them as a couple. It affected the human race. And this passage that was read to us earlier by Joey in Romans chapter fifth, uh, Romans chapter five, he, uh, he said in verse 12, just remind you, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, just one little sin, and then Sin entered into the world. How do we know that sin entered into the world? Because of death. Everyone dies. Everyone dies. And through sin uh, and also death spread to all men because all sin. It was an evidence of all sin because everybody has died since. He goes on down to verse 17. And here's the good news, folks. And this is the this is such a blessing. For if by the transgression of one, death reigned through all, and we know that, that's a fact, we see that. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace. And when we realize God's grace upon our life in the redemption of His gift, and of the gift of righteousness, will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. There's a new Adam, a second Adam. And those who put their faith and trust in Him, there's a whole new race, a whole new family. It's the the race of of godly people. The race of, of righteousness. That's the good news, folks. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. There's one other thing. It affected them personally. It affected them as a couple. It affected the human race. And then it, it also affected the domain if we look at Ephesians chapter 2, we see that the domain that we were responsible for, that, that man was responsible over to, to protect and to guard and to, to allow it to, to flourish, has been transferred to the power of Satan. And he is the one that's leading this whole thing. And that's a catastrophe. Death and decay and sin... Or sinful nature, rebellion against God. The whole human race is turned against God. Satan is leading the way. And by this act, what has happened? They, they sealed an alliance with the, the prince of death. The prince of darkness. Satan himself. The principle that we need to pick up here is that Satan promises more than he can deliver. He promised to be like God. Godhood, he couldn't produce that. Couldn't produce that at all. Uh, the, the result, it will never match the expectations. And there's probably great expectation, at least in Eve's, because she, Eve's mind, she she saw that, she gazed, she looked, and she she examined these things, and it's like she built it up in her mind. There was a fixation there, and folks, we all do it, don't we? We can't not think about it. Say, Lord, help me to not think about it. We, we, don't, we, we need to walk away. When those times of temptation are there, we, we just walk away. Don't let me think about it. Don't let my mind dwell on it. Don't let me fixate on it. Lord, don't lead me into temptation. We pray that daily. Folks, you're going to make decisions on a daily basis and you're going to base those decisions on some worldview. And it's going to be based upon some of those philosophies maybe that that we laid out there. Maybe humanism, your own emotions, your own feelings. But folks, you're going to be 
putting yourself in Satan's hands. We have a different worldview. We're, our worldview is informed by Scripture. Genesis chapter 3 is at the very core of that. We are now informed. The Bible tells us that there's a spiritual world. We, we see that there's a physical world and, and we, we see that. We have a comprehensive worldview now because we see the spiritual world and the physical world. And again, science wants to, they, they can't measure that, so they just want to ignore that. But it's not hocus pocus. It's real. It's, it's not just made to, uh, to, designed to make us, to, to be spooky. No, it's nothing like that. It informs us that we're different from the animals. It gives us, it informs us that, that we have a, a conscience. It forms us that we have a, a soul that's designed for eternity. This worldview is, uh, it's comprehensive because it gives the physical elements of life and the spiritual elements of life. And you have to have both because we are in humanity. It also informs us of the spiritual world. And it also informs us that we have an enemy, Satan, and sin, and, and even the world and the world's standards. This is a comprehensive worldview. It explains to us where sin came from. It explains to us what sin is. The man's first problem, man's biggest problem, why pain is in the world, why suffering is in the world. Because this is the best explanation. There's many people that are just trying to explain away Genesis chapter 3 and lean on their own understanding. But God has informed us and we make we will make decisions based upon this word as believers. Based upon this scripture. And it's a a good worldview. It's a good worldview. It's reasonable. There's evidence here. God, the Creator, He's going to know how this world runs, and He's going to inform us, and He has informed us, and it makes sense. And so we buy into this worldview. But that's not the only reason we buy into this worldview. It's because God has worked in our hearts. There's a reality there that I know God exists. He has given me the faith to believe. Not just in Him, but in His Word. And so we, we, we can stand against the world, no matter what the world says. Even if the world calls us fools for believing in a, in a fairy tale, we can stand and say, no, our worldview is comprehensive. It takes more faith to believe your worldview than our worldview. Our worldview explains everything. makes sense. We don't believe just because of that. We believe because internally, subjectively, I know that God has worked in my life. And I just believe it. I just believe it. I come to Genesis chapter 3 and I read this story and it, and it res, resonates with me. And I say, yes, I can identify with Eve. I can identify with Adam. I, I understand temptation. It's the same thing with me. And I'm, I'm easily lured away and I, I fall to that lure. 
And I recognize, man, there's a Satan out there. And he is the enemy. And I have to be sober about this thing. And I thank the Lord for working in my heart. I thank the Lord for the gift to believe. A gift to believe. To have faith in Him. I thank the Lord for that. There's many people that can tell you the stories backwards and forwards. But they don't believe. I thank the Lord for the the privilege of believing this word and building my life on this word. I will make decisions based on this word, based upon this worldview, not upon the worldview that the world has. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we, we thank you for informing us. Lord, we've gone through life so long and not been informed. We've heard stories. We never really pulled them together and and see how they applied to our own life. Lord, we, we thank you for informing us. And then, Lord, on top of that, we thank you for the gift of faith. It's from you, not of our own self. We thank you for working in our heart so much so that we just are are pulled, are drawn to You. Your love will not let us go. You you draw us in. And that faith just becomes stronger the more we read this Word and we think, yes, this makes sense. Yes, this is right. This is real. This is a reality. Even though we can't see it, Lord, we know in our heart of hearts and we're informed, well informed from Your Word. And Lord, we thank You. We thank you for your gift of salvation. Thank you for that second Adam. What a joy to be a part of this new race of people that desire and hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, I pray that you would bless us. Give us the desires of our heart toward righteousness. Thank you for being our heavenly father. Thank you again for your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.